This is the Fedora Chronicles Network. This time on the Fedora Chronicles radio show, John Pike and I, Eric Render Kingfisk, talk about what's new in Dieselpunk for October 2018. The Man in the High Castle, Season 3. The Girl Who Handcuffed Houdini, SSGB, Albert Einstein, Time Mason, and Jekyll Island Chronicles. All this and more on the Fedora Chronicles radio show number 94. Thanks for listening and stay tuned. Hey there, guys and gals, all you hip cats, cool kittens, you diesel-powered disciples of cool. This is the Diesel Punk Podcast and the Fedora Chronicles simulcast. I am your co-host, the Diesel Punk Impossibleist, John Pika, sometimes called Big Daddy Cool. And on the line with me is my partner in crime, literally, the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, Eric Fisk. You're traveling through another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind, a journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Diesel Punk Zone. I, I was here in the diesel, diesel punk zone. <laughs> you know, that, that was a uh, Manhattan Transfer did a cover. A vocal cover of the Twilight Zone theme song. Yeah, on their on their album vocalese. Yep. Yeah, very very odd for them, but it was a very cool uh, record. Anyway, what's going on, my brother? Well, you know what? It's kind of funny because it's um, it kind of feels like New Year's or like the first day of school for me. Just big changes just happening all around, and I was just like. Uh, I don't know whether or not to celebrate or mourn what's going on, but just I'm just going to leave it at that. Just new changes here at the uh, the Fedora Chronicles Network. And um, uh, first thing that uh, when I when I heard about the changes that were happening in my life, uh, you were the first person I thought about. I, th- I thought to myself, I got to call I got to ch- call John Pika and ask him, has this ever happened to you? And you said, "Why, yes, it happens to every podcaster. Get over it; it'll it happens." So, and uh, but that wasn't good enough for you. You had to seek out the advice of several other people who basically said, "What?" Oh, pretty much. Listen to John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the thing is, is that bad things happen sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. And, and wait, I don't even know that it's a bad thing. It's just something that happened. Right. And, and you know, it's not good or bad. It's just, you know, life is not perfect. No. And and we can't expect it to, to turn out perfectly yeah. every time. Yeah. 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 The only thing, so, the only other thing that I can say right now is that if you are into any kind of digital arts whatsoever, there's only one word you need to know, remember, tattoo it on the back of your your hand or on your forehead, so other people remind you. The word backup, backup. That's it. That's it. So we got a lot of diesel punk stuff to talk about today, don't we? A lot of retro centric stuff as well. We we do. And, and it's been a while since we've been on the air together. 
Um, for for listeners listening, um, Eric and I are our, our lives have gotten very busy, yeah, and yeah. Uh, mine mine in particular. I'm performing more than I ever have in my life. A uh, couple of nights a week at House of Cards in Nashville, doing the whole kind of prohibition speakeasy thing, and then uh, on the weekends I'm I'm traveling around doing conventions, theaters, and whatnot and looking forward to a break Eric. yeah in in october we're in october but usually around halloween my season comes to an end really my yeah my theater performance season comes to an end um intentionally yeah um i'm one of these performers that you know most most magicians and musicians singers and whatnot they're working the most throughout November and December doing private parties and corporate events and whatnot. And I hate doing those. Oh, yeah. I hate schlepping my stuff around town. I hate going to people's houses. I hate having to uh, introduce myself cold to a group. It just, everything about it, I abhor. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've been perfectly happy over the years to, you know, make hay from uh, really February through October or March through October and and let all the other guys do those private parties and corporate events in November yeah. and December and I sit back and enjoy it with my family. Now, this year, though, is going to be a little bit of a paradox because at House of Cards, while all of those other magicians are taking these corporate and private parties, that means there's more opportunity for me to perform there. So I'll probably end up over the holiday season performing a lot more than I ever have in the holiday seasons before because they need me there yeah. to, to fill those spots. So it, I've just been I, I've just I've been so busy that it's been hard to carve out time to sit down at the microphone yeah. uh, with you and. I know you've had similar things going on in your life, and uh, but but faithful listeners yeah. have no fear because I put out the word about a month ago that the Diesel Punk podcast was really looking at becoming more of a network, and we we started going that way when we started syndicating the Fedora Chronicles, yeah. and you know with the uh, music specials, the Diesel Punk Retrocast, and uh, a couple of guys responded to my call. And we are now uh, syndicating the astounding adventures of the Acro Diesel Age. And those episodes are coming out daily right now. Um, This Saturday and Sunday, there will be two uh, that come out on the same day. And then on Monday, Super Monday, five episodes every hour starting at 10 o'clock. Holy crap. Wow. Yes. How, yeah. How are you going to keep up? Wow. Oh, it's already all scheduled. Okay. All right. <laughs> so all the episodes, they're all in the all in the can, and you're yep. re- releasing them at that schedule. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Speaking of awesome, um, one of the things that I'm doing is I'm doing more audio production, and I, I had an opportunity to sit down with somebody who had said he doesn't have any equipment. And he wanted to know all about my equipment. What do I use? And I said to him, why bother? You're never going to learn how to use this stuff the way I have. Hi, just hire me. I'm cheap. Well, not really cheap, but, you know, for for his budget, I'm 
um, relatively inexpensive. So you will be seeing a lot more of just broad spectrum things, things that um, you'd never expect on the Fedora Chronicles radio show coming to a podcast syndicated service near you. And that's it. That's but you know what? Enough about me. I am so excited about the work that you're doing, what you are doing right now with the House of Cards uh, and the location and the setting. I'm jealous. I, I'm envious. I But I'm happy for you at the same time. Does that make any sense? It absolutely does. Because you work at, and yeah, the place where you work is gorgeous. Go ahead. It is gorgeous. And, and it is like stepping back in time every night I'm there. Um, you know, you have to go through a, uh, not a secret entrance, but kind of a hidden entrance. Yep. You have to be let in by the bodyguard, by the bouncer, and uh, you have to have the secret code to get in. And uh, you literally walk down this stairwell and back into time to Prohibition era um, and great drinks, great food, and there's magic all around. It's like, you know, um, it's a magic speakeasy yeah. is what it is. And and it's super cool. And what I love is when people dress the part. Now, now you have to wear men have to wear a jacket and a button down shirt. Yeah. Um, you don't have to wear a tie, but you have to wear a jacket and leather shoes. No tennis shoes allowed. Uh, women are not allowed to wear jeans. They, they have to wear, you know, business dress. I don't want to say business formal, but um, business attire. But we have people who dress the part yeah. and they come in in the flapper dresses and in the, you know, the, the, the gangster suits with the fedora or, you know, we, we had a couple come in a couple of weeks ago um, doing the whole uh, Zelda Fitzgerald and F. Scott Fitzgerald thing and, you know, doing the Great Gatsby style. And, and it was it's awesome when that happens. It just adds to the entire ambiance. Yeah, that's that's incredible. That that's your that's your work environment. That's where you go. Uh, I think that that's Jesus. I, I can't I can't say anything more than that. Other than the fact that um, if you ever take it for granted and you're just like, I don't know if I want to do this right now. Let me know. I'll I'll fill in for you. You're gonna to have to teach me your act, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Just don't don't take it for granted. No, I, I don't. And uh, every day that I'm there, I'm just think, you know, I just think that, you know, I'm the luckiest person on the planet. Um, you know, and it and it all is about immersiveness. Yep. And, and immersing yourself into the atmosphere. And you like that that segue there, Eric? I sure. Oh, of course I did. Yeah. One of one of the things that I wanted to talk about tonight is is diesel punk theater. Yeah, OK. Now. I'm going to talk a little bit about my theater show that's uh, getting ready to tr uh, close this season, but uh, we'll be traveling around again uh, after the first of the year. But um, there's a show that is currently running in New York City called The Girl Who Handcuffed Houdini, created by Cynthia Von Bueller. Now, did you follow the link that I sent you? Yeah, I sure did. And of course, here's another example of me and my envy because I live out here in the middle of the woods in New Hampshire next to um uh you know with the chickens and you know on one side and and uh the coyotes and the raccoons on the other side I'm out in the middle of nowhere so but I'm living vicariously through our our fellow diesel punks who are able to enjoy this stuff 
Yeah, so um, The Girl Who Handcuffed Houdini started as a graphic novel by Cynthia Von Bueller. Now, I've tried to get her to be on the show several times, and our schedules just don't work out. But uh, Cynthia Von Bueller is a, a writer and an artist and a performer in New York, and she wrote this graphic novel or comic book series that's now collected as a graphic novel called The Girl Who Handcuffed Houdini. And it's basically based on the the book, The Man Who Killed Houdini. Um, and in that book, it suggests that Houdini's death was not an accident, that he was murdered. And um, and it's a fascinating study. And, and so Cynthia's immersive, uh, Cynthia's graphic novel starts with that premise that Houdini was murdered and she creates this character that kind of takes the readers through the last days of Houdini's life, uh, a private detective named Minky Woodcock. And what she's done is she's taken that graphic novel and she's turned it into an immersive theater production. Now, when I say immersive, this is one of the most ingenious things I've ever heard in my life. New York audiences will be transported back to 1926 to experience a world of mysterious speakeasies, backstage intrigue, and hotel room affairs as they unravel the untimely death of legendary illusionist Harry Houdini in The Girl Who Handcuffed Harry Houdini. Um, it's based on the popular comic series, yada, 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 yada. Uh, it follows private investigator Mickey Woodcock as she uncovers secrets surrounding the final days of the world-famous escape artist. Woodcock's investigation leads her to cross paths with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who believes Houdini is not merely a magician, but has supernatural powers, and Bess Houdini, who suspects her husband is cheating on her. Now, here's where this gets really super cool. The play will unfold throughout three floors of a historic East Village townhouse, which today houses William Barnacle Tavern, formerly Sheb's Place, a speakeasy where the New York City Council drank during Prohibition. And so it takes place in that townhouse and the 199-seat theater, 80 St. Mark's, uh, theater 80 St. Mark's. Uh, and Van Bueller, who's also the production set designer, will transform the townhouse into a Prohibition-era time capsule. Listen to this. Audience members choose between being a spiritualist, they believe in ghosts, a pragmatist, believe in science, or one of Houdini's favored guests, which means they wish ghosts were real, but doubt highly that they are and dislike people who lie about it for profit. And they will be assigned a character to follow and then experience events through that character's point of view. They might find themselves assisting the magician's rehearsal backstage, sipping absinthe in a speakeasy, spying on an affair in a hotel room, witnessing an attempted murder, attempt, attending a seance, visiting Houdini in the hospital room, or viewing his body in the morgue. And it's replete with incredible magic tricks and authentic recreations of spiritualist demonstrations such as se seances, tarot readings, and spirit photography 
the production offers up a meticulously detailed slice of Houdini history, including a performance of his iconic water torture chamber act, which VIP ticket holders will be invited on stage to inspect. And here's where it gets bizarre. But I love this idea. As if it's not bizarre already. Audience members are encouraged to come back again to follow other key players and see alternate facets of what actually led to Houdini's fateful death. Evidence is revealed, but the truth is left up to the theater goer to decide. So it's literally, Eric, a different show every time you see it. That's genius. Depending, that's, isn't it genius? That's genius. It yeah. is. And and here's what's really cool. For our fans who love postmodern jukebox, Robin Adele Anderson, who was the, the first vocalist with postmodern jukebox and continues to do stuff with them, plays Bess Houdini, Harry Houdini's wife. Um, Pearls Daly, a New York City burlesque performer, plays Minky Woodcock, and uh, Vincent Sink plays Harry Houdini. And uh, let's see, we've got uh, who's uh, who's one of the other uh, performers here? Um, the nurse, who was a fictional character, uh, is played by what is her name? Ah, Del- Delisa Lachat plays Nurse Lachat. So she's a character that I guess was created specifically for her. Um, and just like Minky Woodcock is a fictional character, Nurse uh, Lachat is a fictional character as well. And they focus around the, uh, their, their focal points in the, in the story. Um, let me see here if it names who plays Lady Marjorie. Yes, Marjorie of Boston is played by Veronica Varlow. Now, this, in the book, they um, they go to great lengths to render the seances that Marjorie performed in historical accuracy. And if anyone knows about Lady Marjorie and her seances, you know that she performed them in the nude. So I want to go see this show just for that purpose. That makes me an awful misogynist, doesn't it? Eric is speechless. <laughs> I really am. I Because here's, it's almost as if they said, what can we do that could get people to come in and, and experience something, not once, not twice, but three times? Because uh, I knew a woman who loved Donnie Osmond. And she had to go see Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dream Color Coat. Is that right? Technicolor Coat? Dream Coat. Dream Coat. And I went to see it three times. And I was just like, the first time was really exciting. The second time was, it was okay. And the third time, I was looking at my watch. You know, and it was just like, I wish that they could have spiced it up a little each time. This is something that... You, this is only in New York right now, right? Yeah, that's right. And it only runs through November, I want to say, uh, what, what is it, November 4th, maybe? Yeah. Because it follows, It's it opened September 26th. So we're about halfway through the run, and it uh, had a limited run for a purpose, because Houdini's official date of death is September uh, so Houdini's actual date of death is when again 
Houdini's actual date of death is October 29th. Um, the like uh, right at right at the stroke of midnight, going into uh, Halloween. Um, but uh, they uh, they did not announce it publicly until November fourth. So this show is running through November fourth. It's basically the last month of Houdini's life. I think that that's amazing marketing. Yeah, it is. It really is. And the thing is, is like if you're in the New York City area, you'd have to go, especially if you're a diesel punk. Especially if you're into that period, that era, I, and I think that that's that right there is is just fascinating marketing. And I would just like to know who who is a genius who who thought that up. Um, Cynthia von Bueller, she is a genius. Uh, and you look at her credits, what she's created in New York, it's it's just. It is phenomenal, and um, I'm 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 very envious of what she's created. the 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 problem is that there's no way that she could take this on the road. It it could only work the way she's designed it there in New York in that townhouse. Yeah, and the thing is, is that it has to be that location. Do you think that there's any chance at all that they could duplicate that location uh, elsewhere? Do you think that like? I mean, I know it's hard. I know that what I'm asking for is next to near impossible. But is there any way that they could recreate that location in unique buildings in other cities? Or is it logistics? Is it just crazy logistically speaking? I, I don't know without having gone yet. Um, I'm, I'm trying my best to get out there to see it uh, before they close. I, I don't know if I will be able to. Um, but uh, if I get to see it, I'll tell you. But anyone listening right now that is either has the money to go to New York or is in New York, go see this show. Go support this show because we want more of this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the, the only way we get more of this kind of thing is to support it. Um, now, I'm really envious of Cynthia because what she has done is very similar to the idea that I had two years ago when I started doing stories and music from and inspired by my book, yeah. Tales from the Flipside. And um, so we're running that. We're wor workshopping that, the newest episode. Uh, and we close on October 20th will be the last performance um, of 2018, Tales from the Flipside, Episode Four: Big Daddy Cool versus the Devil, and um, it's uh, it's a slice, it's a chapter out of the upcoming book, actually, but um, in much the same way of what Cynthia has done with her graphic novel, um, I've tried to take stories from the book through magic and music, and and storytelling, and the characters we've created. And to bring them uh, bring them to life on stage in an interactive, somewhat immersive way. Um, you know, the audience members become characters in the stories. They they come on stage. They join us on stage. Um, you know, we break the fourth wall. Uh, and um, really excited about this this newest version of the show because coming on board is um, a great singer and actress and dancer named Erica Nash. And she is playing a character that I created for the new book called Ruby Raven. And uh, Ruby Raven is, a, um, is an African-American singer 
who performs at the cafe at the crossroads in Meridian, Mississippi. Do we know the famous story that happened at the crossroads? I think you should tell. I think you should share. Well, legend has it that legendary blues man Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads in Mississippi. Now, the city has never been named in the legends, but uh, different people have kind of pinpointed it based on clues that Robert left. And um, one of the cities is Meridian, Mississippi. And to, and there's a, a cafe there called the Crossroads Cafe. And it's a it's a restaurant bar. And, and back in the day, it was a, a juke joint. And um, so... Uh, our story takes place at the Crossroads Cafe, where my character, Big Daddy Cool, has found himself uh, after after Tommy Sims died, after Tallulah Jones was shot, after the sugar shack burned out. I had nowhere to go. I was despondent. I found my way to the Crossroads in Meridian, Mississippi. And there on stage, the opening act was the most electric and wicked thing I had ever seen. She had the voice of an angel and curves that would make a Cadillac jealous. Her name was Ruby Raven. And that uh, that opens the show. And, um, you know, we basically tell the story about how these characters met, became a, a, a duo, and at the end, how Big Daddy Cool beat the devil there at the crossroads. And seeing that magical story is uh, is the focus of of this edition? How did That's you, all I have to say about it. How did you How did you come up with the idea for that? That sounds like a phenomenal idea for a movie. Uh, <laughs> I say that in tongue in cheek because the thing is, just as soon as you mentioned it, there was a great uh, movie based upon that um, in Crossroads, released in 1986, uh, directed by Walter Hill, and it was. Uh, one of the really sort of offbeat movies that Ralph Macchio did. Um, yeah, and you know what? I, I, I am familiar with this movie, and I've never seen it. Okay. I've only seen it once, and it was about 30 years ago, so I couldn't tell you any yeah. more about it, other than the fact that people were just amazed and astounded at how uh, Ralph Macchio really sort of tried to stretch himself, really reach out there. And it's, it, it's, a, it's a great period film as well, obviously. So I, that's another thing that we're going to have to check out again. So yeah, I'll I'll have to watch it. Um, actually, the the idea kind of developed um, organically for me. Um, one of the stories that is being written by another author for uh, one of the Big Daddy Cool anthologies coming out from Pro Se Press sometime in the future um, is about my character uh, having to return a penny to the crossroads. Um, and so that got me thinking about the crossroads. How, why was I at the crossroads to begin with? And um, every a lot of things happen in Tales from the Flip Side Volume Two, but all of it starts and ends at the crossroads. So this is just a slice. This live show is just a slice out of the new book coming in 2019. That's see now I'm excited. Do you sleep? And where do you find the time to do all of this stuff? I don't sleep. <laughs> John Pica, American Vampire. I, I cuz um 
Yeah, so so we ha- so we have that we have that going on. Now, one of the things that we also wanted to talk about is um, did you want to get to Man in the High Castle, or did you want to save that for for the end, the first the well, first two episodes? Have you watched it yet? I've only watched the first episode in preparation okay. for this for this um, for this podcast, and um, this would be a perfect time to interject here and say that um, I'm amazed at what is going on on Amazon, Hulu, and Netflix, and the programming that they're creating. Um, Good stuff. It really is because the thing is, is that we binge watched uh, Jack Ryan um, this pa- this August, right after it was released, and it was phenomenal. And it was no- it's nothing like the other Jack Ryan movies that you've ever seen before. Um, and it's it, it's a totally different timeline with same with the same characters played by different actors, but in slightly different scenarios, which I thought was incredible. I thought that was great. And the thing is, is that, and I'm, and I'm going to tell you something, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not binge watching Man in the High Castle this time, like I did with the first two seasons. I'm savoring every episode. I'm, I'm pacing myself because in, in the last couple of seasons, I watched it and it's like I watched it in quick succession. And afterwards, I was kind of like that, that, you know, that kind of like heartsick feeling after a, you finish a really great show. I felt that with Man in the High Castle, especially after the quasi cliffhanger. Um, so the thing is, is like I'm, I'm watching one episode and I'm allowing myself to digest. What did I actually see in episode one? And I think that you and I, can we talk about episode one and can we say spoil alert? And, and, yeah, and just have and just have it out. And what's yeah, what the because my kids were confused as 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 all get out. What is well, so what, what's your take? I was I was confused. Um, it, it took me a minute to get back into this world. Yeah, um, because I've been so separated from it. Uh, I mean, it's been two, over two a years, year, two years since. Yeah. So. So, you know, all I remembered was that um what was their son's name uh it wasn't jack joseph the oh you mean the kid uh, so, so, so by the way spoiler alert right now in the last season of man in the high castle Avin gubenfuer joseph smith has a had a, a son who had a degenerative disease which he, which over time he would lose the use of his legs and in this version of alternate history alternate earth um, invalids are euthanized, and Aben Gubernfuer's son was going to be put to sleep, and John Smith was the one who was going to put his own kid down, but he kept putting it off and putting it off, and then the entire thing with a with a coup against Adolf Hitler occurred, or and there was a fighting for there was a fight for the for the the power for the for the Fuhrer who was going to replace Hitler. Huge plot point last season. And Aben Cuban Fuhrer John Smith goes back home to New York in the suburbs, and his son surrenders himself to the euthanasia police, and he and he does it in this surge of patriotism because he's so proud of his father because his dad was responsible for saving the Reich and 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 was promoted wasn't he yeah yeah he was like promote he is like he's he's like second in charge of the American Reich 
and so yeah. he's so proud of his dad. He wants to be a uh, he wants to be a good example for Nazi youth, and he gives himself up. And of course, first episode we're dealing with that aftermath. What what does it what does it mean when your son surrenders himself to be euthanized in this police state? How do you feel? How would you feel if your kid said, "I don't want to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. I'm going to follow the law and I'm going to surrender myself." And it, don't you think that that would make you stop and wonder? Are you doing the right thing? Is this the right thing? Is this the right thing to do? It's a lawful thing. He followed the kid, followed the law, but is the law wrong? And you well, so spoiler alert. Yep. In season two, John Smith struggled with that very question, right? And he came up with a very um, extravagant plan to have his son mysteriously vanish on a. expedition yep and and the goal was he was going to disappear and he was really going to be set up for life in south america and you know not not be euthanized um but when joseph when john smith goes to germany to save the reich his son knowing or learning the truth um preempts that plan and surrenders himself yeah but but john smith and his wife struggled with this and he he came up with a plan to break the law. And because of his power, it would have worked and no one would have known. Um, and, and, and his son caused that plan to backfire for him. Um, and, and but because of the way that his son turned himself in, it made him and the entire family look like patriots. Yeah. And in season in episode one, we see that. Smith's wife is not comfortable with this. I mean, she's mourning as any mother would. Yes. But it's beyond just mourning. Um, You get this sense that she blames her husband for this. Yeah, exactly. Well, she. here's the thing is this is what irrational anger and blame does to somebody. You have nobody else to blame. You're angry at the situation. Who are you going to take your anger out on? It's a very human thing to take your anger out on somebody who is an innocent, in a sense, someone who is close to you, but also represents that, represents that authority. And that that authority is her husband. Her husband is the symbol of American Nazism in this alternate history. And it's 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 painful to watch. It is it's heart wrenching if you're a parent. I kept seeing myself and my wife, and this is scary, and I'm almost embarrassed to admit this. I saw a part of my myself and my wife while watching this, wondering what would we have done in that situation. And and this is the thing this is the thing I love about Philip K. Dick's work, is that it asks you really tough questions. Tough questions. Can you handle can you handle this? Can you handle um, these these tough questions? What what does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to be a real thoughtful human being? Um, and it was just like, how would you react to that? I don't think anybody would know. And I think kudos to um, uh, the writer of this episode. I think it's Wesley Strict who wrote this episode. It's a man whose work I've never I'm I'm not familiar with. Um, but I'm looking at the internet uh, movie database looking at this. This is the 21st episode of the entire series. It's the first of this season. 
And the episode is, now more than ever, we care about you. Um, do we want to also t- talk about the sort of the, like the wink and the nod, the nudge, nudge um, towards Mad Men that was in this? Did you did you sort of did you did you catch a part of that? Um, I, I don't know that I did. There was a scene in this episode where they were working on the slogan. Some of this. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Now I remember. Yes. And it was, they were kind of like, kind of like, how can we manipulate people? How can we manipulate the population? How can we get people more on board with the American Reich here in the United States? And there was, it was, there was a sort of like a, a wink and a nod to Mad Men because it, I think this episode took place during the same era, the same year, different dimension of Mad Men. And I was kind of wondering, I was thinking, if only they got John Hamm to play that scene. If only they were able to get John Hamm in that in that scene. I think that, that would have been a clever nod. Maybe it would have been too meta. I'm not sure. But it is. It's amazing to see how that they were able to use advertising and marketing. The same way that they try and convince you to switch from Coke to Pepsi. They were trying to get you to get on board with, you know, get with the program. Um, and they also featured one of the, the, the Nazi family standing outside the house in suburbia in that sick, twisted kind of um, sort of Norman Rockwell-ish emotion. Um, and it kind of, you know, it's, it, we, we talked about this the last time. Um, Larry Daisy and I and yourself were talking about Man in the High Castle um, during se- uh, season two. Yeah. It's terrifying. It's terrifying to think that that's like well, that could that could have happened, and that's how people would react. Now it's your job to sell American Nazism, and it's it's disturbing. Well, did it strike you as odd that they didn't call it advertising or marketing? They called it what it was. They called it. Yes, yeah, say it. Propaganda. They called it propaganda. I thought that was I thought that was amazing how it's like they took ownership of that in a sick kind of twisted way. Well, yes, we are manipulating American minds. And it makes you wonder, do they is that what they say in you know, behind closed doors at Sterling Cooper Draper Price in our dimension? Yes, of course they do. And uh, of course, I mean, may, maybe they don't vocalize it that way, but I mean that they know that's their goal is to influence behavior. You know, mark, marketing firms do it. You know, advertisers do it. Politicians do it. Political campaigns. It's all about manipulating thought and emotion to bring about a predetermined desired outcome. There is a great book out there called Brandwashing, Tricks Company Used to Manipulate Our Minds and Persuade Us to Buy by Martin Lindstrom. And I read this as a graphic design student when I was studying advertising and marketing. Uh, and the thing is, is that they use psychi- psychology, psychi- psychiatric, that word I can't say, and sociology. <laughs> They use the science of thinking to get you to submit to their desires. They get you to submit to uh, what they want you to do so they can make their sales goal. And it's it's frightening. It, 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 it was. And the thing is, it made me think about all the other things that I've talked about in regards to MKUltra, um, mind manipulation and control. 
um, how the CIA and and Madison Avenue have cobbled together a, a program to get people on board. And the creepy thing is, is that you're I, we were I was watching that scene. And I was thinking, that's not too different from what we're actually speak, seeing in this reality. Well, no. And, you know, my day job is working as a corporate sales trainer. I teach people sales techniques that make <laughs> make your customer believe that they made a decision that you already made for them. I teach people how to do this using neuro-linguistic programming and and other techniques. So, and I, you know, I'm just one guy out there. And if anyone believes that the big marketing firms and political campaigns aren't, they're fooling themselves. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's another great book that it's, I, I, I'm, for my next review on our, on our website, um, America, The Farewell Tour by Michael Cohen. And he, the last couple of chapters, he talks about how um, we've been sold an ideal that really doesn't exist. One of the phrases that he keeps using in his book is return to the mythical past that never was. And that we're at a, at a, at a point in our society, whereas the future is looking pretty bleak. Let's sell people on the idea of returning back to an idealized, fictional version of our own most recent history. And it's, it, it's you can say to a small extent, that's what we, we diesel punks want to do. We want to turn certain aspects around, back, or incorporate the style and substance of the bygone era, the jazz decades, into the 21st century. I, di- I admit it, but I don't want to turn the clock back all the way you know, I don't want I don't want to get rid of everything. I, I just want to incorporate the style of that that of that time and some of the positive values. That's it. That's all I want to do. And the th- and the thing is, is that the way that brand identity using brand identity with political movements has gotten so ubiquitous. It's it's now losing its effect. People are able to see it what it is, and now there's a bit of a turnaround. Um, people are starting to realize this is this is BS because obviously you can see how Madison Avenue is is being uh, hired by these political parties to get people to sign on to a political identity and virtue signaling and saying, "Why, well, yes, we want to get on board with this campaign or that campaign." Or I'm ready for this candidate. And the thing is, is that you're not really looking at this person's history. They're creating pop culture phenomenons, regardless of the political party. And don't look at the issues. Don't look at the issues. Look at this this great poster Bangsty created. Or look at this great commercial that was cut to celebrate th- this veterans war record who happens to be your senator who's running for president. And how you know, pop culture has been uh, supplanted or has been hijacked for propaganda, like that that that, that Greenwood song "I'm Proud to Be an American," and how that's 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 being how that's pumped through. And a lot of the and another thing is that at political rallies, they're starting to use the same techniques to get you to stay at casinos and stay in the gambling rooms at casinos to get you to stay and get you pumped up at political rallies. 
like pumping in um pumping in uh, pump, pumping in helium and uh, certain uh, sense into the air to get a part of your your brain to feel something that you wouldn't ordinarily feel and it's like they pump just a little bit of helium into the air so you feel a little lightheaded and it was like that's cynical and that's dark well and you know i was about to say you know politics is about marketing personalities but it's not even that anymore no it's it's marketing optics it's all about the appearance and and you know what people think about that appearance or what they tell you to think about it um and and so you know coming back to man in the high castle was did we see the funeral in episode one i don't i no we didn't i don't we didn't see the funeral okay so little spoiler alert episode two you will see the the memorial service and eric it's going to be a complete complete mind screw for you oh i bet if, if you felt conflicted just in the first episode, episode two is going to punch you in the gut unmercifully. And that's the sick thing is, is that we like that in our drama. We like that. We like seeing people that, we, that we've grown to love and respect and admire and see them go through horrible things and great drama and wonder how are they going to get out of that. Another thing I wanted to talk about in regards to Man of the High Castle and one of the most confusing aspects of this season so far is the idea of people bleeding in from other dimensions the travelers they call the travelers and that was a huge part of season two yeah and but in in season three we have people who have died already in this dimension have their how would you call what would you call them their they're duplicates from they're other, doppelganger. They're doppelgangers from other dimensions come in and talk about are you really like are you really my sister? My sister in my dimension died. I was at my sister's funeral. Your funeral in a different dimension. Are you really my sister even though we're from two different alternate realities? What does it mean? What what how do relationships hold up like that? That's a great question and one that I didn't think about. Um, and and uh, you know it is it is interesting that uh, d- spoiler alert, uh, Juliana yeah. is apparently the linchpin, the the one common denominator in all of these alternate realities. Yeah, and that's revealed, I believe, in episode one. In episode one, when the thing is, is that one of the things about th- this show, the plot point. Is well the whole the whole series is built around a it's an alternate reality. What would have happened if the Imperial Japanese and the German Nazis won World War II? The other aspect of this show is that film film reels are somehow being brought from other dimensions or the dimensions our dimension into that dimension where the Japanese and the Germans lost. And the thing is, what do you do with that information? Well, and 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 it, we learn in um, the end of season two. Again, another spoiler alert: um, that not only are films coming from alternate dimensions, but films are coming from the future of their current reality. Yes, and now- and, and so now we're seeing future events in that reality juxtaposed against current 
future and past events from other realities and the the man in the high castle as it were uh who is you know trying to piece these films together and piece together a narrative to understand what is really going on um you know has to wade through all of these different versions and the one common denominator he's found in every single one of the films juliana appears and, and seeing the expression on her face when she sees herself in all of these alternate realities, I'm looking up Internet Movie Database right now to get the actress's name. It's a race to see who can get it first, me or John. Go. It'll be you first. I don't know, because I live in New Hampshire. We have very slow internet. <laughs> uh, oh, and of course, they have to have the special, special background here. Um... Uh, uh, Alexa, how do you, I can't pronounce her last name. Davalos, Alexa Davalos, I think is 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 the way that you pronounce yeah. G- the actress who plays I, I would Juliana. Say that. Davalos, yes. She is an amazing actress, and all I can ask you is, what is she doing here? <laughs> I'm glad. Well, this this entire cast, yeah, is phenomenal. Uh, Rufus Sewell is one of my yeah. absolute favorite actors. And he is so good in this show. Yeah. But, um, you know, we've got, we've got, uh, like, uh, Carrie, uh, Hiroyuki Tagawa, mm-hmm. who played, plays trade minister. Yep. Uh, the trade minister. Yeah. And is he awesome? And before this, he's always been just like a bit character, yeah. usually a villain in some, like, he, you know, he was Cabai Sang in The Phantom with Billy Zane. Yeah. For all of like, 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, DJ Qualls, who he's actually from here in Nashville. Really? Uh, he, he plays Ed McCarthy. And, um, you know, what his his career entailed? Road Trip? Yeah. Uh, that mo- Is that what it was called? Road Trip, I think? You know, stupid teenage slapstick comedies. And he's got probably one of the meatiest character arcs of this entire show. Yeah. Um, and then the guy who plays Joe Blake, yeah. Luke uh, Kleintank. Yeah. Man, is he good. I mean, the entire cast is phenomenal. There's not there's not a bad actor on... Uh, Joel De La Fuenta. That's funny. He plays Inspector Keto. Yeah. Does, does, does it... Is he real? No, he's not... A, he is Asian. Why has he got a Hispanic name? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because maybe Gosh, hey, you know what so maybe racially insensitive, doesn't it? No, no. I because I think people I think people realize that we, we, I mean we don't we're being honest. I mean the thing is is that we're, and we're not being I don't think we're we're being uh, disrespectful. Um, but I, I I I look at I look at all of these these actors and a lot of them you've seen in other stuff and it was. Um, I I think that it was just like this is such a a rich. Um, cast and it was just like why why does it have to why do the seasons have to be so short there's only 10 episodes 10 episodes is actually a lot with something something of this caliber well i'm glad it's not more to be honest with you <clears throat> one of my early complaints about the netflix series have you know the marvel netflix series yeah. have been that they were four episodes too long yep and um, so I, I like the shorter episodes or the shorter seasons. Um, 
because it gives you a more of a sense of urgency. You remember when Agent Carter was on? It yep. was eight episodes. And you remember around episode six, you're sitting around going, how in the world are they going to wrap up this story in two episodes? I know. You you remember that? Broke and, my heart. And, but it was it was all perfectly done. Yeah. And it was perfectly paced because they didn't go too long. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that holds true with uh, Man in the High Castle. Another actor I want to talk about, um, the character Robert uh, Childen, yep. played by uh, Brennan Brown. He's the jewel dealer. Yes. The jewelry uh, dealer. Um, do you get the sense that that part was actually written with Stanley Tucci in mind? I really do. I really, yeah, I really get that vibe. I was going to keep that to myself and sort of wonder, like, because he he really does a really great. I don't know if it's an homage to Stanley Tucci or is it an imitation. I don't know, but it's it's. I mean, it's a great complicated character of somebody who is trying to run an antique business selling parts of American memorabilia, um, trying to ingratiate himself into the the, um, American-Japanese takeover culture, as it were. I don't even know how to describe that. I mean, um, the, the Japanese hierarchy that's running the Western United States in this alternate reality he's a he is also a kind of like he's one of those characters who i feel very conflicted about because he he's a bit of a groveler he is he's a he's a groveler a bit of a what a, he, he grovels a oh, little groveler bit. yes he's a bit of, he grovels a little bit he's a schmoozer but also there is a sincerity to him whereas he's groveling he's smoozing but he's also he literally wants to provide a decent service to his customers yet at the same time he wants to elevate himself at the same time he's sort of like he wants to be a social jumper he wants to be a social climber but he he wants to do it sincerely not too many actors could play that off he you could very easily be a caricature of of a slick used car salesman or you could come off as being a bit of a butt kisser um but he doesn't do he doesn't play it like that all the time you do see anguish in him you do see him sort of say like this is the way it is now i am subservient to these these invaders now i'm going to make the most of it that the best that i can and then he's insulted and he's reminded of his place again, saying, next time you come to my house, you need to come through the side door, through the servant's entrance. And then he gets, spoiler alert, then he gets a little militant and he says, I'm going to start making forgeries and I'm going to start screwing with these people or this guy in particular by selling him a forgery and make a ton of dough because he's been burned. Not too many people could play that subtlety, I don't think, and it's and, and come off as being believable. I, I'd agree with you. He's he's a phenomenal character, and look, this this is a great series, and uh, you know, I kind of hope, and and you might you might relate to this. I kind of hope that they only do three seasons. I, I'm kind of hoping that they wrap up the story by the end of this season. Um, it's there's hard. nothing I 
find worse than a, than a show that just goes longer than it should. And it seems to me like three seasons is just the perfect length. But maybe that's just my personal taste. Have you have you finished season three? No, okay. no, no. I just started it because there is this. I call it the moonlighting phenomenon. Whereas you have a TV show like Moonlighting in the eighties, and it was an incredible, well produced show. Um, starring Sybil Shepherd and some guy. I, I don't know if have we heard of him since. What else has he done? Bruce Willis. I can't think. Mm, I can't mm. think. Um, I'm not sure. I'm going to die hard by not remembering that. I'm just... Uh, but the thing is... Yeah, it, it's it, going to break my heart like glass. <laughs> better. Better than mine. Um, you were watching these two superstars before their prime in Moonlighting. And the whole thing was, will they or won't they? There was season after season of them flirting. And then when they finally got together and they became a couple, it killed the show. It killed the dynamic of the show. And it was just like, you look at a show like Cheers. Cheers could have gone on forever, but you're kind of glad that it didn't. It ended on a high note. But the thing is, is that do you really need 11 seasons of Cheers? Do you really need more than 11 seasons of The Big Bang Theory? At what point do you just have to stop? And do you want them wanting more or do you want it to be like satisfying? Like, I'm glad I'm glad that they did five seasons or I'm glad that they did only three seasons. Breaking Bad is a perfect example. I think Breaking Bad ended exactly when it needed to end. Um, I, you know what? I'm going to hold off and say whether or not I want to see another season after this one. I don't even know if they've announced another season after this yet. I don't know if they. Uh, I don't either. But not to take us off topic. But no, we've. But, to, no, it's time. Like I just said, there's a there's a time when you need to know when when to move on. Well, while while we were talking, I, I was just on IMDb, and uh, you know, at the at the bottom of the page it, it, of the Man in the High Castle show, it showed um, similar shows okay and i found something from 2010 or no 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 i'm sorry 2017 produced by the bbc called ssgb okay and it's based on a 1970s alternative history novel written by acclaimed author len dighton and the drama features or follows a British detective named Douglas Archer as he attempts to solve a murder case in Nazi-occupied London following Germany's win in the Battle of Britain. Wow. And, yeah, and it stars um, uh, Sam Riley uh, plays uh, Douglas Archer. And Sam Riley, for listeners of the show, will be most immediately recognized as Mr. Darcy in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yeah. Um, this looks phenomenal. Why have we not heard about this? This came out last year. I think that's amazing. I, 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 I think that that's the most amazing thing, that every time we turn around, there's something new. What was the name of that show again? SSGB. SS Great Britain. Kate Bosworth. It's Sam Riley and Kate Bosworth. I'm going to look at this, and I'm going to say, oh, yeah, this is my... No, you can. Why, why, you, you can. Only, why do I not know about an alternate history with Kate Bosworth? I don't understand it. that. How did that slip through? Our, and it was from last year. Yeah, adopted by the writers of Spectre and Skyfall, so it's going to have a James Bond, a contemporary James Bond uh, feeling to it, but set in like Man in the High Castle. The Nazis win, and this is set in London after after World War Two. 
Yeah, there's five ep- there's five episodes of this. That you know what that's 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 I, this is the this is the thing that drives me nuts is that how is it that uh, these things just slip through our fingers? It's like how is it that you know I, I think that we try as hard as we can to stay on top of these things. I th- you know what after I think we're going to have to binge watch this after uh, Man in the High Castle and talk about this as well. I I I think so too. I yeah. think so too. Um, speaking of things that kind of slipped past us, um, just this week, I'm at the comic book shop and I discover a, a graphic novel called Jekyll Island Chronicles. And uh, the first volume is A Machine Age War. Volume two came out today. Yeah. And it's, it's a book called A Devil's Reach. And this thing is diesel punk to the max. Yeah. Um, it is, uh, you know, at the beginning of the 1900s, one sixth of the world's wealth vacation in and around the tiny Georgia island of Jekyll. Captains of industry like Rockefeller, Vanderbilt, Morgan, and Carnegie all called the Jekyll area home. Using this place of grandeur and elegance as a backdrop, an alternate history is explored between the world wars, a time of great social, political, and technological upheaval, a time of ingenuity and anarchy, a time for some of the most brilliant and horrible minds of the 20th century to confront each other in a time of great new heroes and fantastic new machines. Oh, and look, they use the word diesel punk in the marketing. How, how in the world did we miss this? I have look. I have an alert for Google yeah. for any time Diesel Punk is mentioned. Yep. Why did I not get this alert? I don't. I, Jekyll- I, I I I think that those news alerts for both Apple um, uh, and Google News for some reason they don't know how to handle Diesel Punk. They ju- they I don't know what it is. It's up to us. We we need this is this is our hobby. This is our passion is to alert people to this. Hey folks, we missed this. Here's one that we missed. We got to check this out. Yeah. So, so Jekyll Island Chronicles, um, I, I did check it out today. I didn't buy it. Um, but, uh, probably after I get paid on Sunday from working at house of cards, yep. dun, dun, dun. see how we come back full circle. I know. Um, I'm going to go back to the comic book shop and get both volumes one and two because um, book two, A Devil's Reach, if you look it up, yep, the cover image, does it get any more diesel punk than that? Yeah, it, it, it's, uh, that's pretty diesel punk. Yeah, yeah, so um, it looks, for those of you who can't see what we're seeing, because you're listening on, on audio, right. um, it, it's like the Untouchables meet the uh, original concept designs from Indiana Jones. Uh, and can we say RoboCop? Can we say that? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it's kind of like a combination between uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, RoboCop, Indiana Jones, and The Untouchables. Yep. Yeah, I, I can't wait to read it. I, I flipped through it today. The art is fantastic. And, um, you know, it's got just a really strong deco aesthetic to it. Um, and I can't believe that I didn't know about it until today. Yeah. It, it, I, I, I just want to bang my head against the wall. 
and then you know to find out oh this is volume two yeah so um but one thing that did not slip past me is albert einstein time mason that's awesome dude this is the most ridiculous yet brilliant concept ever invented it's basically what if this this is exactly what it is what if tom Selleck played han solo calling himself albert einstein traveling through time to protect history from people who would destroy it it could have been easier if you said what if tom Selleck played doctor who just saying well okay maybe yeah but he, he, he's got a very Han Solo yeah, swagger about him. He does. And um, artwork is fantastic. It's uh, it's uh, by uh, Donnelly and Perry. So Tony Donnelly does the uh, story and art, and uh, the script is by Marcus Perry. And for you comic book fans out there, I want you to imagine an art style that combines the work of Jack Kirby into a uh, into a new mashup style. That's the only way I can describe it. And comic book art fans will know exactly what I mean when I say that. Uh, it's just very stylistic. And um, man, I loved it. It was a lot of fun. And um, so go check that out. That's on comic shelves today. And another another one that is out today that everyone was sold out of. I was so disappointed. I went to three shops to get this, and it's after Houdini. It's a graphic novel about the diesel era adventures of Harry Houdini's, albeit fictional, son. And uh, his son Joseph takes after his father and, um, you know, finds himself working as an operative for the U.S. government during World War One. Yeah. And um, another just great graphic novel interpretation of diesel punk that's so the, go go yeah. check those out what an, I mean, we end the show by saying there's never been a better time to be a diesel punk there We're, really hasn't this is the time right now because the last time we recorded a show i said i can't imagine it getting any better than this and then you you find something awesome yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I'm always on the hunt for the next new thing. I mean, think about this. We, we've we got right now available to people in the United States two diesel punk theater productions going on right now. We've got uh, a score of graphic novels and comic series. We've got Man in the High Castle on television. We've got – we just discovered SSGB uh, – yeah. that we didn't know about I, I mean holy cow how could it get any better i can't imagine i i just well in in theaters we have coming up if it hasn't released yet overlord yep and um uh fantastic beasts and the crimes of grindelwald yep so we got movies coming out it, it's it is just a great time to to be into diesel punk pop culture it really is uh, and by the way, um, I, I had to go see um, Venom with my sons. <laughs> All right. Uh, and the only thing that I really enjoyed out of out of seeing Venom was those the trailers for those two movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had not heard of Overlord until I went and saw. Uh, what was the movie I saw with some buddies of mine? And we saw the trailer 
I remember the trailer more. Oh, went and saw Mission Impossible. Yeah. And when I saw the trailer for Overlord, I'm just like, why have I not heard about this? Surprise! That's that was that was a surprise that shocked a lot of us as well. Yeah. They have. So anyway. Uh, there you have it, folks. Yeah, there we go. Any final last words, John? No, you know, it's good to get back on the stick and, and get behind the mic again. Um, and, uh, you know, if if you're into what Eric and I do and, and, you know, sometimes we're joined by Larry and Daisy. If you if you like the diesel punk talk, but you just kind of want to see what else we're into, go check out the Fedora Chronicles. Eric does this great metaphysical connections uh, show that is spooky and sciency and all kinds of fun. Um, and I do a solo show called Tales from the Flipside, oddly enough, the same title as my book. Um, and uh, on that, I talk more about uh, diesel punk stuff, but some non diesel punk stuff too. Uh, comics and movies. I just did a review of Iron Fist season two, which I loved. And uh, go check out those other podcasts, too, to get even more content from your two most lovable diesel punks. How about that? That, that? That's a that's a great. And by the way, when you are in Nashville, you have got to go to the House of Cards, see my buddy John, have a drink, have him show you some tricks and then come back and tell me about it. Um, you, you got to see it. You got it's got to be seen to believe. I've seen the interior shots. Um, it 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 looks like I died and went to heaven. That's it. That's all that I got to say. And John, also one last thing. Thank you for being a really good friend, not just to me, but the entire Diesel Punk community. You, you're a giant among men. Uh, oh, geez, you're gonna make me blush. Okay, but thank you. All right, that's <laughs> you're welcome. All right, great, great, great show as always, John. And um, as you always say, swing hard, swing often, and we'll catch you on the flip side. And keep your chin up and your fedora on. This has been the Fedora Chronicles radio show, sponsored by our Zazzle page. You can find plenty of products with our logos and slogans, such as t-shirts and coffee mugs. There are more products on the way, so check back often. Support us and show off your style by going to zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. You can also follow us on Twitter via our handle, at Fedora Chronicle. And join us on Facebook under groups slash Fedora Chronicles. We also have our own group, The Electric Speakeasy. Go to www.electricspeakeasy.com to join the conversations. Don't forget our main site, thefedorachronicles.com, where we have links to all of our columns, reviews, and all things retrocentric, including diesel punk, film noir, and other genres. It's the website geared toward looking at modern life in the 21st century through the lens of amateur historians, with a slight dose of self-deprecating humor. Finally, don't forget to check out our other podcast, The Metaphysical Connection. We just became the third best podcast for the paranormal, unexplained phenomenon, and conspiracy theories. Go to metaphysicalpodcast.com. It's the one podcast I guarantee you'll lose sleep over. This is Carol Fisk signing off for my husband, Eric Renderking Fisk, who has to take out the trash, reminding all of you to keep your chin up and your fedora on. 